How do you know you're up to date? When you follow EMS World, you answer that question with confidence. Because when we say EMS World, we mean the whole world of EMS. The remaining question for you is how will you stay up to date? In print, online, at EMS World Expo, the world's largest EMS dedicated conference, and now in a podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of EMS World Podcasts. I'm your host, Mike McCabe. We've been talking a lot lately about how our industry is changing right in front of our eyes. Historically, violence against EMS providers has been somewhat limited. Certainly, there are cases where EMTs or medics have found themselves being attacked or assaulted, but for the most part, our industry has been able to dodge the violence. Well, as with everything these days, this is changing, of course. Violence against EMS is becoming more prevalent, and I would argue as prevalent as violence against law enforcement. The question is, what do we do to mitigate this? Is it time to start focusing or even considering self-defense training for EMS professionals? My guest today is Mr. Matthew Giacchetti. Matt is an EMT. He's also the president of Life Force USA, which is a comprehensive training agency, but certainly focuses one of the service lines on self-defense tactics for EMS professionals. Matt, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. You know, Matt, it's a controversial topic, obviously, um, when you start talking about self-defense um, classes, specific classes for EMS providers. Historically, you know, we've said, well, we have law enforcement with us, but we also know that those times and those days are, are really waning, and we need to start potentially relying more on ourselves in this ever-changing environment. Why don't you start off by letting us know exactly what it is you offer, how this all came about, what is your background? So, Mike, I became an EMT um, in college. I was, I was a lifeguard, and uh, the beach I was working at the time, especially during busy weekends and, and holidays, had a very hard time getting EMS to it, uh, just due to you know Jersey Shore crowds, and they offered some of us to become EMTs. I did it. I didn't use it that much. Um, I went away to college. When I came back, I uh, graduated in early uh, 90. And in the early 90s, I, I retook the EMT. And I've been doing it ever since, both as a volunteer. Uh, I'm an EMT uh, on a protection team. Um, they call me Medical Matt. Uh, that's my <laughs> uh, the guy who, who runs the, the protection team, his nickname for me. And I've, I've seen a lot of times where using skills to protect yourself, to protect your team has come in handy. Um, one of the biggest things we've always were taught is we need to learn to heal. Uh, we need to learn to protect. And when we help somebody, when we put our hands on that person, we're liable. So if we're doing some type of BLS or ALS skill, anytime we touch them, we're liable. And it's the same thing when we put our hands on them to protect ourselves. Once we put our hands on them, we ha we're, we're responsible for their safety. Uh, this is where the liability aspect comes into play. So yeah, there's times where, you know, people say, I'll just kick them or elbow them or hit them with my uh, call box. And that's not always the best solution. Um, there are so many things that can be done to prevent violence against EMS personnel. And then there are so many things that can be done when the violence does come to EMS personnel to protect yourself, protect your team, actually protect the subject, patient, or person bringing the violence to you, and thus protecting from liability. 
Matt, when did you see this start to evolve or, or even change in a way where we're really considering this a lot more? Are you getting a lot more demand? Are you starting to get uh, approached by more individuals in this industry, whether it be providers themselves or administrators saying, hey, listen, we have to start to look into this you know, more significantly? So I, I developed a class probably back in the early 2000s, and I, I hit a roadblock from uh, from some state agencies saying that egress, egress, egress. And so that's that's much easier said than done when you're in the back of a rig moving 55 miles an hour, or you, you put yourself in a wrong position in a room where you had the, the patient or subject between you and the exit. Um, so I've had to change terminology in the class. I've had to change and take out the word pain or anything like that to make it less forceful. Um, what really hit home for me, I, I remember being in San Diego, I believe it was maybe 2017 when those five officers were ambushed in Dallas and killed. Right. And I thought to myself like, wow, you know, those are police officers. And what, what, what can I do to help my fellow EMS? So I started doing some free training once a month, uh, at my rescue squad on the Captain Wall community first aid. And we started getting a lot of people coming and we were uh, hitting on a different topic each each month, and then it started waning, you know, waning, just like anything in life. Oh, you know, I ha- I don't have any skin invested in this. It, it's not costing me anything, so I don't have to show up tonight. So we went from that to doing a like a three week series once a year. We were doing some volunteering, uh, you know, volunteering our time and having EMS personnel from any walk of life in New Jersey come take it. We've presented at you know different um, different symposiums in Atlantic City. Uh, we do have, we used to get EMS uh, CEUs for this, but now since it really doesn't fit into the mapping, uh, we can maybe get a half a credit. But I do have a lot of squads calling me because they're interested. They're, they see what happened in New York. They uh, they hear on the news, you know, EMS has a different role now when we have these large gatherings for protests or, or any type of situations. Uh, we have Rescue Task Force now that I'm a part of in Southern Monmouth County. So the role of an EMT is just not the person coming in a white shirt or a sweatshirt and everybody's happy to see them. Um, you know, we've always had domestic violence where it could be uh, unsafe for the EMS provider to come into. But just times have changed with uh, all the different things that are going on in this world. Agreed completely. Matt, take us through what the course um focuses on specifically. So if, if you have providers in there, what, what are you teaching them? How does this course roll out? First thing I teach them is, you know, I'm number one. So myself and my team are the most important people in here. And if we're not safe, again, we're not law enforcement. Um, we're not going in there with any type of tactical equipment, any type of vest. Maybe maybe some of your uh, bigger urban EMS, they may have, uh, like, you know, uh, ice pick approved vests on. So to protect them from sharps and protect them against things like that. But most of your EMTs are going in there, you know, just unprotected. So situational awareness, Mike. Does it not feel right? Does it not look right? Did you go into the environment, into the home or wherever, and you saw something that just said, wow, I don't, this, this is giving me, you know, the hair on the back of my neck is standing up. And I tell them, it's like, if it doesn't feel right, get out. Use something like, tell your partner, hey, we got to go get the flux capacitor out of the back of the rig. It's heavy. Give me a hand. Patient doesn't know yeah. what the flux capacitor is. By the time they realize you just mentioned something from a movie, you're out of the danger zone. And you're getting on your radio and you're, you know, you're saying, okay, uh, is PD coming to this scene? If not, we are requesting them. So, and again, we talk to our dispatch. Hey, what's going on? Is this a domestic? Do we need to 
uh, stage somewhere. Is PDR I'm seeing, is it safe? So it's always that situational awareness first to try to prevent myself from even going into that uh, unsafe scene. If we have to go into an unsafe scene, then, you know, we've all heard about Virgil Juba, right? Trying to yeah. empathize, trying to sympathize, whether you agree with the person or not, whether you know that this person uh, did something bad or or is just being mean to you, um, you try to you try to get them to know that you're not the police, you're not there. Um, you know, EMS is colorblind. We're religion blind. We're race blind. We're there to help people. All of us got into this for most likely the same reason because we're crazy that we want to get out of bed in the middle of the night go help our fellow human, whether we're a volunteer, we get paid for it. So if we could try to, you know, bring that, dial that um, that tone down a little bit, especially on their end, and just try to do that verbal de-escalation, it helps. But as you and I know, sometimes we wind up, you know, we're, we're tired, we're on our 10th call of the day, and we didn't recognize that this isn't the safest area to be into. Our verbal de-escalation skills, whether we have them or not, maybe aren't working. And now violence comes at us. And we have to know how to apply physical force. One, what it does, how does it work? How do I protect myself? How do I protect my teammate? And what do I do not to be sued? We're in a camera-friendly environment now. Oh, um, the LA King riots, I'm sorry, the LA riots with Rodney King showed that. Everything is videotaped. You see more and more things on, uh, on, on social media where people don't even get involved, but there's 20 angles of everybody on their camera phone. So we just can't hit them with the clipboard. We just can't throw a kick. We just can't, you know, punch them or, or, or palm strike them to get out because I may be held liable. So there are different techniques that we can do to separate and to possibly even control this person, depending on where we are and can we egress from the scene. I guess the question, you know, you laid out perfectly, I think, and the way I look at it, and I, I kind of jotted down some notes, but, you know, it looks like it's almost the the last ditch effort is f with respect to force. So it's obviously a situational awareness first. You know, if it doesn't appear safe, listen, scene safety. We all know. You know, if it's, it's if it's not safe, it's a no go. De escalation is such a big word these days. Um, you know, in in every facet of emergency services, and I really do feel like it's a a big big part of what EMS is going to have to learn on the fly here. And, and, and I say that for many reasons, you know, number one, we've always tried to deescalate problems, especially with emotionally disturbed patients and things like that. But now we're dealing with law enforcement where we're thrown into the middle of situations where sometimes our roles can serve as deescalating a situation between law enforcement and a patient or, or, you know, the individual that is being tended to. So, I think that's a huge part of what it is we need to start to focus on. And then obviously the, the final part of this is if there is no choice and if, if there is, you know, some sort of um, physical contact made towards you in, in, during an incident, you know, you have to act to protect yourself and protect those around you. And, and I think that's kind of what it is you're explaining. Exactly. So when it comes to, trying to be that de-escalator between the patient or subjects and the police, I think many EMS are afraid. I think they're afraid that Correct. they're overstepping their bounds. I've never had that. I, I have a big voice. I use my voice to my advantage. I'll give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, we had a person that it took PD 20 minutes to get clothes on the person and get them out. 
and they bit my partner. They they tried to bite me. I wound up putting a what what I call a facial gap on them. It's a low level use of force, painful technique that stopped them from biting and released from my partner's hand. Um, what was going through my head was several weeks before a police officer I know was bitten by an HIV patient that I had to come to afterwards uh, at the police station to you know um, look at, and that person RMA'd. But all I'm thinking is like, do I know if this person has HIV? That person is saying they have HIV. This cop is now on the prophylactics for a you know, possible HIV you know, exposure. Um, and I, because I know how to apply the skills where they're not going to lead to any liability, the low level use of force, but it hurts. I was able to get this person to release. Every time they tried to bite, I applied it and I verbalized. Later on in the hospital, they were telling me, they called me sexy. <laughs> I don't know why <laughs> the person do it. So I took that to my advantage. And when they were trying to like fight the security and other people, I said, hey, hey, remember, sexy, sexy. So she, she looked at me right. and it calmed her down a little bit. So, you know, we see, we saw in, um, you know, if you didn't see the whole thing that happened with the, uh, the five officers in, in Tennessee, um, you know, EMS came afterwards. If you saw George Floyd, even the other officers were free to get in the middle. And I think that's a big thing with EMS. And we all have to know we're on the same team. We may not wear a badge where we, um, we enforce laws. Our job is to protect people. Fire's most job is to protect uh, property and people, depending if they're an EMS role. But we all have a role in that EMS, you know, um, in that circle. So I wouldn't be afraid to step in. I might get backlash later, but my job right now is to try to de-escalate. So I'm not one of those people that just lost their job and got caught up in the middle of some type of crazy situation because I just happened to be there. Yeah, for sure. And, and again, I, I want to go back to, you know, something you spoke about where, where you actually were able to put that move on that individual and, and, you know, take control of the situation. I'm curious as to if you are, well, when you did that, or if you have to do that, what is law enforcement's take on it as you do something like that? A few people afterwards said, how do you, how did you do that? <laughs> yeah, and, teach me. You know, most law enforcement officers get about 10 to 12 hours of defense tactics. And most of that, if not all, is in the academy. It's thus, it's then op, uh, up to the officer, do they want to do that? Most departments don't have some type of physical, when I say or defense tactic, program in place. An officer has to pre-qualify twice a year on their weapon, and most of them will never draw it in their lifetime, but they use their hands every day. So when they, when they ask me, I say, listen, whenever you want, when we have off time, I'll show you <laughs> what I just did. Um, if you notice, it didn't, it did not impair the person's breathing. It did not leave any marks, uh, when it was off or I deescalated the, the technique, the person was able to talk, breathe and everything. I just was able to stop them from spitting and, and, and biting. Well, that, okay. So that's one part of it. The second part of it is if you do engage, how do you document that? Do you document that? that I guess that's the question. Any type of documentation serves two purposes. One to tell the story and to, to uh, protect from liability, to protect from lawsuit. So in a situation like that, all I did was, is I, I, I put on a report is I, uh, I interacted with the patient to pre uh, prevent them from biting again. Mm -hmm. right. So a lawyer can't come up and go, oh, wow, what, what did you do with your hands and my patient? I can sue that or, or I can't sue that. Uh, you know, so 
you leave it up to them to ask more questions or dig deeper. But if they look at that report and he interacted with that patient, there's no forceful connotation there um, to get them to stop biting. That could have been verbal, that could have been physical. But one of the things that we teach, especially the EMS, is if you ever have to go physical, the hospital can be used against you because if this person did not have a known report of some type of trauma to their body and you created trauma during the call, hospital has, you know, x-rays and all different types of diagnostics to determine how was that trauma created. It wasn't created from what originally the call went out from. So did you do that? So how do you is so, so important. Um, we look at what happened in, in Illinois. They put the person in a prone position. They, the, the person basically died from positional asphyxiation where they could not allow their chest to expand and contract and breathe and, and you know, get, bring in oxygen and perfuse throughout the body. There were so many different things that could have happened that even if this person was combative, there are different techniques that can prevent that person's combativeness from hurting you. They may be painful techniques, but they're temporary techniques. Um, a long time ago in a North, North New Jersey uh, town, I, I won't name the town, several police officers were called to the scene of a diabetic patient. The diabetic patient spoke Spanish only. Um, these officers in the beginning were trained as EMTs. They said that the person was being combative and they basically went one knee to his cervical and one knee to the thoracic. And then the other officer was in the, you know, the lumbar at the sacral region. So they had about 400 pounds of people on this patient's back, keeping him in a prone position. He died from positional asphyxiation. They said he would, they were protecting it. If they were EMTs, they should have maybe been able to recognize a little bit more of could this have been a possible uh, diabetic episode? That's why the person was being combative. Um, so there, you know, there was a situation in uh, a southern uh, central city uh, many years ago where several EMTs, one was uh, also a police officer, one was a paramedic, but they were all working as EMTs. They went into a home. It got combative. The patient, uh, they hit the patient with a uh, clipboard. Um, it, it turned into a, a possible racial situation from the family to the EMS, and it just turned into a whole mess. So mm -hmm. they wound up being not reading the, the room properly, and they put themselves with where they didn't have an egress. When I teach situational awareness, when I teach defense tactics, I'm not teaching you to go out there and fight. I'm not teaching you to be Bruce Lee. I'm teaching you to escape and get away. If you have to control this patient, there are techniques to control them where you're not hurting them, but you're protecting yourself. And they're not difficult. They're just, you have to learn them, just like any skill we learn in, in, in uh, EMS. I agree with all this. And I, I think there's a, a way of uh, approaching this, not so much as, hey, listen, we're going to take a proactive approach at, you know, wielding ourselves in a physical way towards patients. I think you really nailed it with the, the Illinois EMTs. I think that if we were to, you know, take a look at this as a, a whole of approach in our training and say, hey, listen, we could potentially prevent terrible outcomes by just using a simple maneuver that would prevent, you know, proned out positional asphyxia, things like that. I think we need to look at it from a different perspective so that we say, hey, listen, times are changing. You know, we can't prevent what is what we're going to be approached by on scenes. We know that um, it's more dangerous out there. So we need to protect ourselves. And, and listen, I'm wondering now if this should not become part of EMT training, uh, you know, and, and part of the curriculum 
Whereas we, listen, law enforcement does it in the academy. Should we have some sort of defensive mechanism training within, you know, the curriculum? At, at least the knowledge base of, again, that situational awareness, maybe that verbal de-escalation. And if they don't have time to put the physical, and again, you could, you could do it in an hour or two, just a couple techniques to escape, to get their hands off and get the heck out. Harder in a moving vehicle, but it, it's not going to add 20, 30 hours onto your EMT course. And then let them know, hey, this is something that should be in all, um, all training for, you know, if you're working for your municipal, if you're working for private or wherever, you know, this is, this is going to be your, your uh, hands-on training, just like you would for codes and, you know, airways and everything else. Well, Matt, I honestly, I, I believe that, you know, as, as discussed in our last, uh, my last podcast, and, and we spoke specifically about these incidents that occurred in, in Illinois and, and Memphis, you know, the culture in EMS is, is going to change. You know, w- w- there's a lot going on in this, in this country. And, there's a lot of things that we need to change and, and certainly, you know, defending ourselves and, and, you know, provider safety is of paramount importance because we can't do anything unless we're protected. So I think that the conversations like this ha- need to be had amongst administrations, amongst municipalities, all of these different, you know, uh, decision makers need to come together to say, Hey, listen, we have to do what's right for the providers or we can't provide. So, I really do want to thank you, Matt, for coming on to discuss this important topic today. I appreciate it. I, I really do that. You had me as a guest speaker today, Mike. Well, that's Matthew Giacchetti. As I said, he is from Life Force Safety and Health Training. And uh, again, you know, folks, we really need to start to reconsider the way we do business out there. And there's going to be a lot of topics that certainly will be controversial, but require that type of thought and that depth in thought. So I, I implore all of you to continue to ask questions and, and you know, figure out which way we're going, which direction we're going, but don't hesitate to realize how important your safety is. And I want to thank Matt again for coming on. I want to remind you that EMS World Expo is coming up September 18th to the 22nd back in New Orleans. It's going to be a blast, so make sure that you register early, and we will see you down there. And listen, pay attention. We're coming back with some more really, really great podcasts. They're all on the horizon here, so listen in. We will talk to you real soon. I'm Mike McCabe. This is EMS World Podcast. Talk soon. This has been an episode of EMS World Podcast. You can find this audio and more like it on the podcast page of emsworld.com. You can also follow EMS World on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 